what took me really to seven figures is when I started to learn how to delegate, how to build a team, because I only had 24 hours a day and I could work 12 of those hours, 15 of those hours, and I would be exhausted because I was working a lot and, you know, never been afraid to work hard. But then I realized it's like, look, I don't want to be the one posting the listings, packing the orders, going to the post office, answering my own emails, doing my accounting, all that stuff. So I started pushing non, non-strategic functions to other people and finding people that could work for me. So I hired my family. I hired my mom. I hired my stepdad. I found my wife, married her, hired her. And then we started building a team building that team and allowing me to have more time to do the creative stuff, to strategize, to see the growth opportunities and more income streams is what took me to seven figures, right? So that was the first mindset shift to go to seven figures, delegation and learning how to lead other people. Welcome millionaires and future millionaires. You're listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast, a show where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their portfolio allocation. Now to your host, Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 339. Stace, we got a sequel today. I was going to say it's sequel time. That was going to be my response. And then you brought up the sequel before I could bring up the sequel. Oh, man. We're having issues already. (laughs) Relationship issues. On the mic. What the heck? We're excited for episode number two with this special guest. Yeah. So I don't have a lot to get into today. So we're going to roll the tape and get into episode number two with Carlos. Carlos, welcome back. It's great to have you. Hey, Jace. Awesome to be again on the show. It was uh, not that long ago that we met here, and it was great. So looking forward to our new episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a refresher for for our listeners on the, on the first go-around, you've pretty much been a serial entrepreneur. High level, just give us you know all the different businesses that you've been involved to up to now. And then, uh, yeah, today we're going to take quite the deep dive into you know scaling from seven figures to eight and beyond. For sure. You know, I've always liked money. I think I was selling candy in kindergarten, like most entrepreneurs and uh, always trying to make a buck. My dad was a small business owner. So I grew up watching him. My first business was actually with my brother, my, my real business. We started a mountain biking magazine in South America that became one of the largest sports publications in the continent. And that was when we were teenagers. So we saw early success. Then I wanted to come to the U.S. I arrived here at 17 years old, and I should have just continued on the business trend, but my visa was for college. So I finished college, got my degrees. Then I transitioned my visa to go get a job at Hewlett Packard, and I did the corporate life for five years, which was great. It was a great experience to understand what I didn't want long term. And uh, after that is when I discovered e-commerce. I started an e-commerce business selling on eBay on the side. And it was great because when when, um, HP started laying off people back in 2001 because of the dot-com bubble, I was ready. And uh, when I got my my pink slip, I actually rolled into the e-commerce full-time and that took off. You know, I doubled down. That was when people were saying e-commerce is actually not 
gonna work is is a fad is just a trend and people want to try the stuff at the store anyways but my business grew i was flipping electronics on ebay then later on i learned how to sell on amazon then i moved back to colorado from california and uh I was renting warehouses for my inventory, and I realized that I actually needed my own place because I was tired of paying rent, and I bought a 50,000-square-feet warehouse 12 years ago. That was my first introduction to commercial real estate. I then started a logistics business out of that warehouse, and then I started a supplement company out of that warehouse, which I sold for eight figures a few years ago. And then I kept along the way on the side buying real estate, so I accumulated a pretty decent size real estate portfolio of small single family homes and duplexes and triplexes. And when I sold my supplement company, I really wanted to focus on something that was forever. And uh, that's when I discovered commercial real estate. And now I have a 1200 unit apartment portfolio in commercial real estate. So that's in a nutshell, my journey so far. So yeah, like you said, serial entrepreneur. However, I've never done two things at the same time. It's always been single laser focus on whatever I was doing at the time until I got it to a point where it was making me seven or eight figures a year. And then I put it in the hands of managers. But uh, I think the real estate's going to be my forever thing for sure. So gosh, man, you, you've had quite the journey in all these different businesses or, I mean, have any of these businesses not made money for you? Oh, I've started a few that haven't. And uh, there's been periods of time when I was building them where I was merely breaking even or maybe at a loss. So, you know, uh, in the early e-commerce days when I was just trying to figure it out, it would go like I would make money for a quarter, break even for the next, make a little money, then lose the, the money I made in the, last, in the last two quarters. And it was like up and down until I kind of figured out what to buy, how to sell it, how to market it, how to pay for ads. Because back in those days, in the early 2000s, there was no, there was no mentorships, there was no masterminds, there was no conferences. It was all the wild west of uh, e-commerce. So during those few years, yeah, I, I, I lost money on some years, but uh, you know, my batting average was always on the uh, winning side. So eventually took away the wins and eventually I just, I don't think it got any easier, I think I just got better at uh, looking at the opportunities and, and understanding how to hire the right people and how to take advantage of the trends and what was coming. And, uh, you know, consistently I've made money in every business in the last 10 years that I've been part of them or I've started them or I bought them. Talk to us about the mindset that you had or the mindset shift to going from, you know, maybe even six figures to seven figures and then seven to eight figures. Yeah, you know, that's a good one because when I was when I was getting started, getting to six figures wasn't hard. It was, you know, I was making six figures at Hewlett Packard as a engineering manager in my twenties. So I, I think I broke that six figure barrier in my head that, hey, if I can have a company pay me six figures, I can figure out how to make six figures on my own. So when I started selling on eBay, my goal was to sell at least half a million dollars a year in revenue. And that I crushed maybe in six months because, you know, I understood, hey, now I can make money while I sleep. And I would post my listings. And as long as I had good product, good price, good offers, good pictures, good marketing, it would sell. 
and I will get the orders and it was consistent, right? Without me having to redo it again. So that's the first time that I saw an indication of passive income because I would wake up and I would say, oh, I have 200 orders to ship from the day before, or I have 50 orders to ship from the day before. So I started seeing stuff working without me having to spend every minute making the money. So that was the six-figure mindset because I was like, you know what? I can do this on my own. Maybe one extra helper. That's it. I can cruise there and, and, and be good. What, what, what took me really to seven figures is when I started to learn how to delegate, how to build a team. Because I only had 24 hours a day and I could work 12 of those hours, 15 of those hours and I would be exhausted because I was working a lot and, you know, never been afraid to work hard. But then I realized it's like, look, I don't want to be the one posting the listings, packing the orders, going to the post office, answering my own emails, doing my accounting, all that stuff. So I started pushing non, non strategic functions to other people and finding people that could work for me. So I hired my family. I hired my mom. I hired my stepdad. I found my wife, married her hired her, and then we started building a team, building that team and allowing me to have more time to do the creative stuff, to strategize, to see the growth opportunities and more income streams is what took me to seven figures, right? So that was the first mindset shift to go to seven figures, delegation and learning how to lead other people. What about scaling beyond seven figures? Yeah. So that one, a lot of us think that is the same recipe as the seven figure mark, but no, it's not. So seven figures, uh, you, you build a team around you, maybe you're making, you know, three, $5 million a year in your business. And, uh, it's all cool, man. But to hit that $10 million mark, it's a completely different ballgame because now you need to go for me, at least I needed to go learn from people that were already at that eight figure situation. So when I got rid of the thinking of, I don't need any mentors, I don't need any coaching. Like my dad was that business owner that was the solopreneur, always by himself, always bootstrapping, never trying to be in debt, never got a big loan. You know, it was all slow and steady, slow and steady. And he made it to the seven figure mark in his lifetime, but for me, it was like, look, I feel stuck. I feel stuck at the $3 million mark. I feel stuck at the $4 million mark. And, it, and I would hit five and I'll come back down to three. So I was like, man, what's missing? So that curiosity of me, I'm trying to understand what are some of the key things that I needed to learn is what took me to join a mastermind. You know, I joined a 25K mastermind that uh, a guy was teaching about e-commerce. That's where I met a whole bunch of more people that one elevated me to a 50K mastermind. Then I paid for a 100K mastermind. And then I started meeting the right folks that knew how to pick the right products, find the right team members, invest in marketing, learn how to scale the marketing so that now I had a much broader presence and I would diversify my product lines. And that's what really took me to the eight figure mark because I started investing money on my myself, right? Me getting to that position is like, you can't be an eight figure earner unless you first become an eight figure earner in your mindset. So when I reached that level and I started partnering with people that were already making 
eight figures and above or had already made it is when almost by proximity, I started getting higher in my business by learning the systems, the strategy, the, the managing of the people, the product picking, the marketing, all the stuff that you need to take your business to the next level. And you couldn't find those people in your neighborhood? No, man. Sadly, that was hard, right? Most people in my neighborhood actually, I've been super frugal. So I was still living in my, in my townhome with my wife. And uh, trust me, the, the, the people in my neighborhood, I was probably scared for them to know how much money we were making <laughs> out of this e-commerce thing. <laughs> so definitely didn't ask for their advice. <laughs> how much was that townhome worth that you were living in? Dude, my my wife bought the townhome for probably forty k, like uh, in the early two thousands, and uh, we really like. I, I've never been a big spender, and I've been super frugal because I always wake up thinking that I'm broke. So we would we we stayed there until literally we um, where we had like half a million dollars in the bank, and we're like, you know what? I, I think now we can afford a down payment for a little bigger home. And, uh, and, you know, we went and bought a, a little bigger home after that, kept a town home and rented it. So that was my introduction to rentals, real estate rentals, because we never sold it because somewhere, somewhere, somehow I heard never, never sell your assets, hold on to your assets. And when I rented it, it became a cash flowing asset. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to just keep it. So that created another stream of income for us on the real estate side, which was kind of the introduction to you know, what I, what I do today full time. And, and you still have that townhome today? No, you know what? We, we did sell it at some point, uh, at the top of the market. Like, like, uh, we, we saw that area just blow up, but what we did with that money is we took that money and we invested it in a bigger asset. So we rolled over the, the townhome into a bigger asset because along the way, we also learned that managing small properties is pretty time consuming if you're doing it yourself. And if you hire a property manager, you know, if it's a small property, they, they just don't have the bandwidth to give it any priority if it's just one or two units. Yeah, I understand. So Carlos, as, as you've gone on this journey, you've scaled it to seven figures. Was it the condo, the townhome that propelled you to move into real estate and, and scale beyond that? Or was there some other thing that happened in your life to get there? No, I think, look, I think it was a combination of things, but I think the big push for me when I had my e-commerce business that, you know, I still have uh, a couple of them today when I had it and it was kind of in diapers uh, uh, back in those days, I was renting a warehouse and uh, it was a small warehouse, it was a 2,500 square feet warehouse. And the rent was triple net. And I don't know if uh, the audience doesn't know what triple net means is basically you pay the, your landlord the base rent and you pay him the reimbursements, the triple net reimbursements. And that means that you're paying for taxes, insurance, common area maintenance, and everything. So the landlord's basically profiting 100% on the rent that you're paying. So along the way, I rented a warehouse and realized, oh, I'm paying for everything. Like literally, this guy's paying for nothing. I'm paying for his mortgage, for his taxes, for his insurance for his maintenance, you know what? I should be on that other side of the table and own some commercial real estate. So that is what in a period of about five years that I was a commercial tenant, 
I started talking to myself and telling myself, you know what, you need to buy some commercial real estate. You need to find a warehouse. And that took me to where I started looking. And I started looking for a warehouse. And uh, eventually it moved me to, hey, you know what, I need a bigger place. I knew my business was going to continue to grow. So I didn't want to renovate my contracts. And commercial contracts are like five, 10 years long with every renewal. And uh, my renewal was coming up in two years. I was like, you know what, I need to find a place before my renewal's up. So before uh, the two-year mark was over, before my next renewal, that's when I found the building that I still own today. It's a 50,000 square feet distribution warehouse that uh, has, you know, has been one of my best real estate investments since then. But I bought it for my business. I didn't buy it as an investment for real estate. I realized later that it was probably one of the best moves I made over 12 years ago. Yeah, for sure. So fast forward today a little bit. I mean, do interest rates play a factor in the way you think about investing in real estate now? 100%. You know, right now, for those that are listening right now that are scared of interest rates, if you're buying a home for yourself, I'm sorry, but you're, you're, you're in a pinch. I read a, an article from the Wall Street Journal just yesterday that today is 52% more expensive to own a home than to rent it. And a lot of people are going to argue me about that. And mortgage brokers are probably going to, you know, comment below and say, man, you're crazy. I can get much lower. But the reality is that the average person out there, if they want to buy a house right now, they have to originate an 8% mortgage or more, depending on the credit. For commercial real estate, on the other hand, because of the interest rate so high, price actually adjusts downwards when interest rates are high. Because part of the equation of buying commercial property is the debt. And everybody that buys commercial property buys with debt attached to it. And the demand for commercial property actually softens when interest rates are high because people tend to stay on the sidelines. So what's happening right now, Jace, is there's a lot of people in the commercial space with apartment complexes, big warehouses, mixed-use complexes that shouldn't be selling right now. Like literally they should not be selling right now because it's not a good time to sell, but they have to sell for multiple reasons. Either their loan is coming due in the next few months, meaning that you know their three-year loan, five-year loan or 10-year loan needs to be paid very soon. Their debt is floating. They originated a loan at the 3% or the 4%. And now because the floating debt has gone up. Now they're paying eight, nine percent interest on that same loan. So they're pinched. Their cash flow is probably zero, if not negative. And their only solution is to get out of the property. Or what I'm seeing today is lenders are now starting to take over some properties and they're starting to sell it at whatever is owed on the property or sometimes less. And remember, for commercial properties, they give you a loan of 60, 70, maybe 80%, but usually 70% of the value. So at the minimum, you can get 30% off, if not a lot less. So I'm excited right now because I'm buying, right? I'm putting about four or five offers a week at very, very offensive numbers uh, for the seller. But many of those sellers will have no choice but to sell. And there's not many people like me that have the capital, have the net worth, and can go raise money for these deals right now because a lot of the institutions 
are just in wait and see mode and they're on the sidelines waiting to see what happens in the next six months to a year. So I'm excited. I think I'm going to buy some very, very lucrative projects in the next six months to nine months. Do you think it's a better time now than we've had on the commercial side in, I don't know, five, seven, 10 years? I think so because of that, of that debt factor of things coming due. Like literally, I'll just give you an example. I, uh, I'm doing a deal right now that was shown to me for $15 million about a year ago. Didn't pencil out a year ago. And today I'm buying the same deal for $10.7 million. So that gives you an idea. Just because they could not sell it back then, interest rates went up, price adjusted downwards, and their loan is coming due in about six months. So if they don't sell it to me, they have to pay that loan in full with what, what money, right? They have to sell it. And they can't refinance because there's not enough equity in the, in the property to go and refinance the old loan with a new loan without getting into a 7%, 8% mortgage situation. They'll have to inject capital in the deal. Yeah, it's interesting. I've seen a couple of headlines and articles about this where even in some cases, a property may be even cash flowing a little bit, but the lender is getting nervous you know, because some of the leases are coming due or whatever else. And so they are wanting to force a sale yeah. you know, as, as part of it to get out, get them kind of made whole and, and, and move on down the road, given that, hey, if a tenant doesn't renew here, this, this property is upside down you know, on the commercial side quickly. You know what that is, is a technical default. So yep. some, some deals are, there's a bunch of deals out there that are in technical default, meaning they're still paying their debt. But based on the loan agreement, their debt service coverage has to be at one and a quarter, 1.3, 1.4, and they're barely hitting that mortgage number after paying expenses. So the lender can come in at any time and say, hey, knock, knock. You're below the threshold based on our loan documents. We need you guys to sell or we need you guys to inject capital to keep the deal alive. Yeah, I'll be interested to see how this plays out over the next, I don't know, 24 months, really, because I'm curious to see how things change, you know, through a presidential election as well. And where's the economy in a year from now to 18 months from now, especially as we're, you know, entering what seems to be a few wars going on and, and everything else yeah. on a global scale. So in terms of Carlos's mindset, I mean, what are you doing today that you weren't doing 10 years ago, 15 years ago, in, in terms of training you, training your mind, your body, et cetera? Yeah. So I'll tell you on the business front, I'm not starting any businesses anymore. I'm only buying businesses, right? I'm only, I'm only, I'm buying cash flow because it look a lot, a lot faster right? Buying opportunity of businesses that are, and when I say businesses, I, I mean real estate property, commercial real estate property that is already performing, but it's undermanaged, undermarketed, no customer service, no systems, no processes. So I come in, buy the property, inject all those systems, all that marketing, all the sales, all the customer service, and we can drive the value quickly without ever swinging a hammer because I buy newer properties. So that's on the business front. So I'm enjoying that a lot because, dude, I've started 
for businesses from scratch and starting businesses from scratch is hard. And a lot of people fail in the first one to two years of their new business. So I'm just proven, right? I'm in my forties in three years, I'll be 50. So I don't gamble it anymore, right? I study the, the, the real estate. I see what's cash flowing. I see that what's going into the bank every, every month. And I buy that and it's a lot funner than trying to figure out if it's going to work or not and, uh, and sweating it at, at night. So that's on the business front. On the personal side, you know, I'm investing a lot in just hanging out with the right people, like going to conferences and masterminds and just meeting like-minded people that want to do big things, that want to invest in big properties, that want to partner and uh, where I have, you know, like mind, like heart, so that we can not only roll in business, but maybe even our families can become long, long time friends, right? And then on the physical side, you know, uh, once you turn 40, you start thinking about, oh, shoot, man, I just woke up and something hurts, right? My knee hurts or it's different. Like, like in your 20s, nothing hurts. You, you could party all weekend long. And on Monday, yeah, you're maybe a little tired, but you're back at it. When you're 40, now you're like, shoot, I need to start taking care of myself. So in the last probably nine years, I've gotten to the gym five, six days a week. I started watching what I eat very, very consistently. I, uh, you know, I, I take care of the most important asset, which is myself, so much better than I did in my 30s and my 20s. And I'm going to continue doing that. So I'm big into you know, fasting and cold water plunges and, you know, just eating right and nutrition and, and things that give me more energy and make me feel better and that can maybe extend my life for another five, 10 years while being sane, right? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I know there's a guy, I can't remember his name right now, but he's like, he's done some crazy things. I think he spends like seven figures a year on trying to yeah. essentially turn his clock back to, you know, but it's, you look at the schedule and it's like, I mean, you're not even doing anything, but trying to maintain, you know, your 18 year old self. <laughs> yeah. I think you can there... with a couple hours yeah. a day, like, like, like yeah, you can, sure. you can do you just like you can do a lot of damage by eating the wrong stuff, never exercising and be a couch potato in like two, three hours a day. You can do the same thing the other way around by just prioritizing your health. Yeah, for sure. Are there any conferences that, that you particularly like the most that, that have been beneficial to you and your success? You know, I uh, lately I'm going to, I don't know if you've heard of the Aspire Conference. And that one has been really good for me to meet like great people that want to invest and want to grow in business. So I'm loving Aspire. They're going to have 14 conferences next year in different cities in the U.S. So they're going, they're going like ballistic. Uh, their founders are very good friends of mine. And, and uh, so I, 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 I like taking my team and going myself. I definitely see myself uh, soon speaking on those stages as well. So I'm, I'm liking those. Uh, at some point, I was going a lot to real estate conferences. But, you know, I, I find out that uh, now where I'm at in my investing, in my journey, like what I want to attract is business owners that are making good money in their business or their profession that need help understanding real estate investments. 
in a real estate conferences, I typically don't find that. I, I just find other people like me that are doing exactly the same thing. So that are maybe trying to figure out the next 1% increasing the NOI, right? But I'm looking for right now is to go help people like myself 10 years ago. Like 10 years ago, I would have loved for someone to approach me and said, hey, Carlos, did you know that you can invest in an apartment complex and get cash flow, get appreciation, get depreciation, and, and save a ton in your taxes? I would have been like, what? Really? Teach me more. Tell me more. Jace, I never got approached for a real estate investment in 20 years building businesses. So wow. I don't want to be that guy on the other side that doesn't talk about it, doesn't speak about it, and you know, kind of keep it away from someone that is ready to start putting that capital to work in something that is pretty secure, like a good real estate investment, other than many other things that are more speculation than anything. You you brought up a, a swear word in my house and that's taxes. So I want to <laughs> rewind the clock a little bit as we discussed on a previous episode on the tax benefits of real estate and gotten into depth there. But as you were building these businesses, I mean, how did you think about taxes and the tax man as you were going through that journey? Yeah, look, um, when you're not making a lot of money, like the numbers are small. So you're like, oh yeah, you know, everybody has to do it. But once you start signing six-figure checks to the IRS every year, dude, it gets really heavy. Like the conversation with your wife at tax day, when you have to sign that check gets, gets ugly because you're like, you know what we could have bought with this money? Another house in cash, right? Another property in cash. So you can go just so many years of that without getting really curious about, hey, you know, I hear that some people actually never pay any taxes or pay very little. I wonder how they're doing it. So that curiosity kind of hit me about 10 years ago because, you know, I was kind of starting to pay six figures, six figures, six figures a year with every single advice from my CPA. I mean, I would do everything that she would tell me and then some to try to mitigate it. And I just couldn't because I was making more money. And I think truly, Jay's what, what this does is for some people, it almost stops them from fulfilling their, their full business potential. Because the first time you have to sign $150,000 check to the IRS after you've contributed all year, you're like, shoot, man, you know what? I don't know if I'm going to work this hard next year because you kind of feel deflated, right? So like psychologically, it's like, it's like a punch in the gut. If, if not in the nuts, right? So you're, you, you start getting curious. So for me, it was like, you know what? How do I find solutions to this? And I picked up a bunch of books. I uh, hired like at least four CPAs to get answers. And there's a bunch of different things, but the one that was very consistent was real estate, commercial real estate. So when I sold my eight-figure company and I saw the seven-figure tax bill, coming coming ahead, I was like, you know what? This is the time for me to invest. And that's when I got real busy, double down on learning, double down on all the benefits of, of, of depreciation and learning, uh, accelerated depreciation and all the stuff that real estate can do for you. And I can tell you that today, even though I make more money than I've ever made in my life, I paid minimal taxes, if any, 
almost zero. The last past a couple of years, I've actually gotten refunds. This year, it was tiny compared to what I paid when I was just a business owner selling on the internet or with my other company. So it is real. It is real that real estate can offset your taxes in the majority in a real way, but you have to learn how to do it and you have to plan for it and you have to take action to get to a place where, you know, you're the most tax efficient person that you know. For sure. How do you think about philanthropy and giving back? You know, for me, it's two things. Uh, the first thing is to educate people. Like, like I truly feel the knowledge that I have of what I've accomplished needs to be disseminated and spread. So I really, I'm very active teaching every single week, every Wednesday on a free setting for anybody that wants to come and learn. Like, it doesn't matter uh, if you're just getting started, if you're advanced, if you're halfway down the road, come and learn in one of my Zooms for free every single Wednesday, right? That's my part of giving back to anyone that wants to learn. The second part is to put my money to work in causes that actually benefit people. And what I like to give to is I like to give to causes that help kids uh, learn about money, about business, or that empower kids that are super poor. So I'm from Ecuador. So what we're starting to do now is we're starting to uh, help causes down in South America for children that don't even have access to books or don't even have access to a classroom and set them up with, you know, a, a classroom, a school, uh, a place to go learn, uh, a, a hot lunch for them to be able to not think, oh, shoot, I'm hungry instead of learning how to spell and write and do math and simple things. So, you know, that's what we're set it up. Eventually, I think what we'll do is probably set up a foundation in honor of my dad. You know, my dad passed four years ago and he was our our inspiration in business. So uh, my goal is to set up a foundation with his name attached to it so that, you know, we can continue what he started because he was really a guy that brought himself up from absolute poverty to, you know, make a million dollars in his, in his business, which was a complete anomaly when you learn where he came from and having no mom, no dad, raised by his sister and shiny shoes when he was a kid to be able to pay for his lunch at school. That's cool. Is there anything Carlos has started to splurge on as, as the wealth has grown? You know, we like traveling. We like traveling a lot. Uh, we like to go to Europe. Uh, I have a uh, plan to take my kids to, to see Asia and, and, uh, you know, see the world. I think that for me, those experiences changed me as a kid because my dad was a traveler and explorer and, you know, um, took us to see the, Great Wall of China and took us to Tokyo and took me to Germany when, when I was a kid. And, you know, those things for me are, are very important. So I, I would say travel is probably the number big ticket that we, that we do not too much into cars or watches or brands or any of that other stuff. I typically just roll in my money into uh, more real estate. So <laughs> I guess, I guess that's the, that's the big ticket things I buy today, right? More real estate. So is it fair to say that you're never going to, I mean, you're, you're never going to outspend what you're making at this point? It's very fair. You know, it, uh, we've always lived below our means and uh, we live a very comfortable life. So it's it, it, like, 
I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't even know what to go spend it in other than maybe the fountain of youth machine that we were talking about, right? (laughs) (laughs) If it ever becomes a a real thing, uh, I, I, I would probably invest in that because that would allow me to have more time, not only to create more, but to spend more time with my family and my kids and my grandkids and, and be a, and be a healthy grandpa and play with them and run with them. And, you know, those things that I believe are super important because look, I, I grew up without a grandpa that, uh, played with me and, 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 and did things with me because he was older already and he was not in shape and he actually, you know, could not enjoy with us. So I would like to be the grandpa that actually, um, you know, goes and plays with the kids and goes to soccer and plays with soccer with them and practices and runs. And in that my grandkids say, man, my, my, my grandpa's a best man. I want to be like him when I grow up. Yeah. So is the plan to donate to charity or give to, to your kids or what's kind of the plan as, as the wealth grows? And, and you know, you I think, to- I think the plan is I don't, I don't want to set him up with, with lump sums. Uh, my goal is to set it up in a way that like they'll be taken care of, but it'll, it'll be set up in a trust that unlocks when certain achievements are, are hit. So it's going to be a little gamified just to keep him hungry. I think it's important to keep kids hungry, especially nowadays, right? Because I was hungry and my dad, my parents were never able to give us everything we wanted. So I think that actually helped us seek for more and achieve the next level. So the big challenge for me is figure out a way that uh, my kids don't get too comfortable and that they still pursue things with passion, with desire, with hunger, uh, and that even they make their own money, right? I mean, look, I've never, I, I will never let them starve or I'll never let them just, you know, have huge needs. But I think that a little bit of challenge, a little bit of pain, a little bit of struggle is healthy for kids. Like, like, you know, I try to put them in situations where, Hey, we go raise a Spartan raise. And, uh, I did something, uh, this couple last weekends where, you know, my kids are 12 and minimum age for a Spartan raise is 14. And, um, you know, I might've, might've said that they're 14 (laughs) 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 and, and, uh, so they run the, the adult Spartan raise with us and guess what? they just took off like rockets and enjoyed every minute of it and got muddy and dirty and, and loved it. You know what I mean? And, and those experiences are the ones that I want for them. Uh, so that, you know, they, they experience a little difficulty. They experience a little bit of hunger, a little bit of thirst, a little bit of, of fatigue so that, you know, they become tough human beings because, you know, life doesn't get any easier and the world's not getting any easier anytime soon. It's only getting harder. And for those that are weak, I'm sorry for them. Yeah. Are, are there any other strategies that, that you're using or plan to use to, to help them kind of develop those skills and mindset and not get too comfortable and, and want to go chase that their, themselves? Yeah. You know, as I get a little older, I think um, we'll probably do, uh, I don't know if you follow Jesse Itzler, but you know, he has a great philosophy about this of doing one big thing a year like one big major thing a year that that is kind of like out of the norm, like 
hey, let's go, let's go climb Mount Everest or let's go to Antarctica or let's go and, and uh, do something that, you know, you'll, you'll remember forever. So I'm trying to book that one thing that they'll be talking for the rest of their lives and say, hey, in 2024, we actually went and stood at the top of the highest glacier of the world, right? And it was cold and it was, and it was crazy. And I remember like it was yesterday and they'll be telling those stories to their kids. So if you think about one big thing a year that you can do with them and your family, they'll have stories to tell for, you know, they're only 12. So by the time they're 18, they'll have eight massive stories to tell about the one big thing we did in a year. And then every quarter, do one thing that it's a little smaller, but still kind of out of the norm. You know, instead of going just to a basketball game, maybe go hike a big mountain, maybe go to a state that we don't know and take a trip to a country that we don't know and start, you know, accumulating those life stories for them so that they experience to see the world. And especially for me, I want them to, to go see kids that don't have as much as them, like go to South America see kids on the street begging for food, see kids that don't have shoes, see, you know, children that, you know, are not as fortunate as them. Cause that I think brings you a lot of perspective and helps you understand how good we have it so that you develop this deep sense of gratitude for, uh, you know, what has been done up to this point when you were born in this family that, You'll never have to go through that, but there's other people that need it. And, you know, so that they become good human beings that want to give back at some point. Yeah, for sure. Do, do your children know of your wealth at all? You know, we talk about money a lot. Like that's one thing that I think is very important that the kids understand the value of a dollar, but also that they're not afraid of money because I think that uh, a lot of people have a, a bad relationship with money and, and it's taboo to talk about money at, at home or with family or uh, at school or you know you, you're like for some reason we developed this this like hey no no you, you don't talk about money you don't talk about salaries you don't talk about loans you don't talk about investments and why if the language of business is money and we need money for everything why wouldn't we talk about money? So, you know, we play Monopoly a lot. I teach them about cash flow. I teach them how to underwrite an apartment complex on a napkin. I, you know, I, I teach them how to use a calculator. I tell them, hey, look, you know what? I just signed the lease a week ago, just literally with my son, right? We, we grab the calculator. I grab how many square feet the unit has. Uh, in this case, it was a, it was a 2,600 square feet unit. I was like, hey, look, 2,600. He's paying $30 a year in rent. That's $78,000 a year in income. Let's divide that by a five cap rate, which is the value of the building. That's a $1.5 million lease. One contract, $1.5 million value add to the building. So it's like, oh, wow, that's cool. And you did that only with, you know, addition, multiplication, and division. I didn't need differential equations or calculus or any of the crap that I learned in engineering school <laughs> to, to actually create $1.5 million in value for my property. So simplifying it that way so that they lose every fear they have to money and they actually think, 
oh, you know what? Going and making a million dollars is not that hard. Let's go do it. That's awesome. Well, Carlos, any last pieces of advice for somebody to go from, you know, seven figures to eight figures or maybe even six figures to seven? Yeah, man. Look, I think just put your ego aside. Become a student and become a lifelong student. I, I'm a lifelong student. Like I, I never stop learning. I think that that I can learn every single day, and I seek for the opportunities to get close to someone else that has gone further than me, higher than me, that knows more than me, and that is willing to teach it to me. And I'm humble enough to say, "Hey, look, I've never done that." what is the key, which I think that's what you're doing exactly with these podcasts, right? You're disseminating amazing information so that people can become lifelong learners and one nugget out of a conversation can help them take it to the next level. So I would say, look, become addicted to learning, never stop learning, read books, listen to podcasts, watch YouTube videos, pay to go to conferences, invest in yourself, the investment in yourself is not limited returns, it's infinite returns. Like the stuff you learn, you can use it for the rest of your life. And I think that's the big problem with people. They stop learning after they graduate high school or graduate college. And uh, sometimes that's their that's the end of their education. While for people like us is like, you know, we're hungry to learn more and to get the last bit of info that can take us to the next level. So more better, right? That's awesome. Where, where can people sign up for the Wednesday Zoom, man? I'm excited to attend one of those myself. Yeah, look, they can go to infinitecashflow.com. It's uh, my website. You'll see my face on that website. And uh, there's a link at the top that says education. Just sign up for the Infinite Cashflow Show. We do it on Zoom every week, every Wednesday. And uh, we talk about different topics like top mistakes not to make in real estate how to raise capital for real estate, how to increase the income of your property, how to create money so that you can invest in real estate or invest in real estate with no money. So there's a bunch of different things. I usually let the audience tell me week to week what they want to learn next week. And uh, yeah, that's, that's our format. And it's been growing every single week for the last two years. I've had it for the last two years, every single Wednesday. And uh you know, it's exciting because, you know, some of the some some of the times also we have in-person events so that people show up and we do it for free as well here in Denver. That's cool. Any other places that people should reach out or get a hold of you? Yeah, look, they can find me everywhere. I'm on Instagram, on TikTok, on YouTube. Carlos Salguero is my name. I am Carlos 10X is my handle on most social media. And uh, that's one big thing I'm doing this year. I'm pushing super hard on social media. Very hard to not find me these days because, you know, that has been one of my biggest priorities this year. And going on to 2024, uh, we're going to blow up. So because I need to reach more people, I need to help more people. That's awesome. That's Carlos. Appreciate you coming on the show today. Thanks so much, Jace. Appreciate you. Thanks for listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast with Jace Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website, millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.